Sure. Hello, everybody. How are we all today? Should look at the camera, shouldn't I? <laughs> so, I'll fix the brightness just a tad here. It's a little, little bright. Beautiful day outside. Gorgeous. Wow. Yes. Wow, beautiful day. Beautiful week shaping up, I think, by and it large. Is. It right? is, yes. There's nothing dramatic on the horizon. So it's that's really good, yes, you know? It is. Cool. Yeah, it really it is. is, considering it's February. Early February. Early February. Yes. So, But you know, Poxitani Phil, he did say it was going to be a shorter winter. He did. He you did. know, the groundhog, he's right like a third of the time. One third. That's what I read. I mean, like a third of the time, you could do better with a coin. I but know. Isn't anyway. that funny? I mean, it is funny. You would think it would be 50-50, <laughs> but no. No, he just gets it wrong yeah. more often than he gets it right. Yep. But hey, we're glad y'all are with us today. We are back in the book of Numbers. We have, we're going to continue the story of Balaam. And the donkey. donkey. <laughs> yes, so it's a very well-known, it's a story that... Um, there are only two talking animals in the Bible. One is the serpent in Genesis 3, and the other is Balaam's donkey. Wow. Yes, right? Wow. So anyway, we'll talk about that and kind of what might be going on there. So what's new? Anything? Nothing. I just, you know, the only other talking donkey I know is from Shrek. His Shrek. name is Donkey. And I'm, we know a talking horse. That was Mr. Mr. Ed. Ed. Yes. <laughs> Even had that a TV show and great little song. Then there was, wasn't there a talking car? Yes. My yes. mother, the car. Okay. Yes. This all goes back a long time. <laughs> when we were pretty sully when we were young, weren't we, in television wise? Gosh. But adults watch that. I know. They were, yeah, they were primetime TV. <laughs> um, so, anyway, we're glad y'all are here. We are. We are glad you're here today. And uh, just. We know you could be someplace else, so that's right. We're glad so you're we're here. back to the book of numbers, book which I'm enjoying a lot more than I thought I would. Too. To be honest with you, me too. there's a lot more in this than I thought there was. There really is. So, uh, and this this is one of the famous stories yes. in the book of numbers. So, and see, I have this friend, um, and that I exercise with, and he started uh, really getting into the Bible the last couple of years, and he just like he read numbers recently and didn't know how we made it through and I said that's because you you did it by yourself that's right you studied you it not you do read these it, things you... there's certain places where you're actually all of it you're better off yes. reading with other people but there's so to much help. that you would just kind of skim over or go what the heck and then skim over right right, right. there's a lot just of stuff sort of one in one eye and out the other as so I, put I, it. I told him we needed to go back online and watch Scott's version of numbers. Exactly. And how interesting it makes us. And all y'all's questions. All y'all. All y'all. I said that because, you know, that's what Charlotte Good says. Southern girl now, all aren't you? All y'all. All y'all ask great questions. We've which you. really help, you know, because, yeah. yeah. So. Okay. I guess well, we're ready to get back I'm at gonna, the donkey. There you go. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be here today in this virtual experience. Um, with one another, um, to study your word, to be in this virtual fellowship, to and to learn, and to continue to make our way through this book of Numbers, which I'm pretty sure none of us had ever devoted anything close to this amount of time to. And uh, But we're discovering in this that indeed your word always enriches, always. All this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah. Like a little so there are some there are some good questions that come out of where what we're gonna do 
today okay, in so uh, the book of Numbers. Okay, so don't be afraid to ask, guys. Yeah, please. I mean, uh, so some topics and things that are really, really kind of big. So here's where we, <laughs> here's where we are. We're at the story of Balak and Balaam, and let me just rehash it for a minute. Balak is the king of Moab. Moab is a land on the eastern side of the Jordan River, and it is an area very, thus very close to the Israelites. And as I told you last week, of course, the most famous Moabite of all is um, Ruth, who is a Moabite, but then devotes herself to God's people. So let me get out my map for a second here. Well, Scott. Yes? Before you even start on that, Artie Pagan wrote a, a really nice long paragraph there that you may want to look at. It's regarding when I was asking if the serpent on the pole wasn't kind of like as a temptation, you know, about graven images. So he he searched out something on his own. So I'll okay. let you take it from there. From second All right. Let me see what Artie's got here for us. Because you recall that one of the episodes in Numbers is where the people have been their usual rebellious, horrible selves. And in response, God sends a plague upon them. This is a plague of snakes. And they're all getting bitten by these poisonous snakes. And people are dying. And they want salvation. And so God gives them salvation in the form of a bronze snake on the top of a pole, which Moses sets in the ground. And um, Moses sets in the ground. And then when they gaze upon it, they'll be safe from the poison snake. And I talked about it being about this moment of, of salvation, of um, the plagues are a consequence of their rebelliousness, and God provides a salvation, just as God provides a salvation in Jesus. And Artie did some more work on this, and Patty raised the issue of it being a graven image, which it is, right? The snake would be a graven image, something that the, that the Hebrews, the Jews, the Israelites, all those are all synonyms, of course, were to stay away from. They weren't to make anything like that. Um... And so Artie found a passage. Very good. This is quite a good find here. Second Kings chapter 18. So this is about one of the kings who is cleaning up Israel and did indeed smash the, the, the snake on the pole because it was being used as a graven image. I think that's what the, that's about, Artie, right? Um, the king, he broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made for up to that time, the Israelites have been burning incense to it, which would be a worshipful act, right? And it was called Nehushtan, Nehushtan, and uh, they did use this as a graven image. So there's, it, it illustrates why God told them to not make graven images, because graven images like um, bulls, calves, snakes in this case, were used as... Um, pagan gods and goddesses and people did worship them and uh, that was true right up to Jesus's day right up to the day of the Greco-Roman world with the um, Greco-Roman pantheon of gods and goddesses 
and with little figurines and all these other things. So yeah, thanks, Artie. That is super. I didn't didn't know that connection was there. So um, in in this story with Balak and Balaam, Balak is the king of Moab. This land you see right here in the middle on on this map, just on the eastern side of what we now call the Dead Sea, sometimes called the Salt Sea. And it lies on the route of how the Israelites are going to get up to the Promised Land because they're actually going to enter the Promised Land north of the Dead Sea. And they have asked for safe passage through some of these lands by the king of Edom and the king of Moab, and they're declined each step of the way. So they've now come to Edom, now come to Moab, and the king... Balak sees them all and he's very, very nervous. So he sends to the east for a diviner, a man named Balaam, who we don't know much about. He comes from, I think the next slide is the map I used last time, from the land of Pethor. And it's, I don't know, 250, 300, 400 miles of these. We can't be sure about these things. But anyway, so um, he's going to send for Balaam and bring him back to Moab to simply curse the Israelites. That's it in a nutshell. Balak sends for Balaam and he wants Balaam to go back and curse the the. Um, the Moabites. So he sends a, an, a, a, a party out there to get him. And the gist of it is that a couple of times Balaam asks God if he should go and God tells him no. Now the interesting part of this is that it's not the word on the page in the Hebrew is not simply the word for God. The word for God, general God, any God. Capital G, lower G is L, E-L, as in Bethel is a famous place in, in, in India, India, in Israel, simply translates to house of God, so E-L. But then there is God's, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob has a name revealed to Moses at the burning bush, Yahweh, Okay. So, Balaam knows this name. And Balaam, Scripture, the words on the page, speak in such a way as to let us know that, that Yahweh is the God that Balaam is communicating with. Because, of course, he is the only God. But still, I wouldn't have been surprised, first time I read this story, to see that Balaam is just interacting with some figment of, you know, uh, gods. So, but God, the God of Abraham and Jacob, the God of the Israelites, how Balaam knows of this God, why Balaam appeals to Yahweh is not revealed to us. It just says he did. Just says he did, right? Which instantly raises a big, important teaching point. This is a whole preaching point. Actually, you could do a sermon on this. Christians get very, can we can, we can get very exclusive about our relationship with God. I have been told by 
people at St. Andrew's that there are Christians and churches which teach that God only hears the prayers of believers. And I've been through the Bible a bit. I don't know where that would come from. Um, I, I think it tends to come from a desire to make God ours and everybody else is kind of excluded until they come into, you know, the body of Christ. But you see, God can do what God wants to do. And here is this man, Balaam, who is almost certainly not an Israelite. And yet, God, Yahweh, the triune God, <coughs> will speak and interact with Balaam. And God will speak and interact with whom God wishes to. And, and it's, it's kind of a famous story in that way because it, it really helps to shatter some of this um, exclusivity we have to the extent that we think, well, God won't interact with anybody, you know, until they come into the body of Christ. Or, um, but that's, that's, just putting, that's just putting restrictions on, restrictions on God that need not be there. Indeed, it doesn't even make sense. Of course, God, who makes everyone in his image, who has made this world a beautiful place to live and to work, and it seeks its renewal and redemption, God can deal with anyone he wants in any way he wants. And we just need to be careful about... Um, being blind to seeing that God would work through surprising people in our lives. God can work through people who aren't Christian. God certainly hears the prayers of people who aren't Christian. Balaam is not an Israelite from anything we can tell. And yet there's this long story, and indeed Balaam is going to deliver the most magnificent prophecies from God for the Israelites that there is in the entire Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Nothing's going to top, nothing in those five books tops what Balaam brings from Yahweh to the Israelites. So, all right? All righty. So, finally, in verse 20, the, the emissaries from Balak appeal one more time and this time God says to Balaam since these men have come to summon you go with them but do only what I tell you so God tells Balaam that yes he can go okay indeed instructs him to go the way the English translation is done so verse 21 Balaam got up in the morning saddled the donkey and went with the Moabite officials but God was very angry when he, that is Balaam, went, and the okay, and he's angry with Balaam for going, I guess. It just says God was very angry when he went. Um, Eugene Peterson paraphrases it as God's anger flashed. Over what? 
And I said last week, one commentator wrote that, well, it's this is about God hoping that Balaam would, would still not go, would use his will to say, no, 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 I should not do this. Um, maybe, maybe not. There are other scholars who would say, look, we're now into a little part of this book of Numbers that is kind of this narrative theology. It's a satirical story to make several points. Um, and it begins with rather than God saying, go, go, God not wanting Balaam to go and to get angry about it. I don't know if I necessarily think we have to see it that way. I think we can just again say, as we do several times across the Old Testament, more than several, that God is surprising, that God, there is mystery in God. Why does God do what God does as depicted in certain spots in the Bible? And if we think we can explain all that, maybe we've made God a little bit too small. Maybe we think that everything that God says and does needs to make complete sense to us. And I think that's probably prideful and foolish. So, I don't know. I can't answer the question why God was angry. I can't answer the question of why God, in, in the book of Exodus, at one point, there's this point where it says God, God was trying to kill Moses, wouldn't you go like, what is that all up about? I I don't know. I don't know. I think there I think there are these places that just remind us that God is God and beyond our full comprehension. God reveals a lot about himself um, climatically in Jesus, but that doesn't mean that we can know everything about why God does what God does and why God says what God says. So, I'm going to leave it at that. And we'll take the story there. God was very angry when Balaam went, verse 22, and the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is a specific, um, really portrayed in the Old Testament in a specific way. The angel of the Lord shows up at especially important times. The angel of the Lord seems to be a special angel. Not just a, uh, he's, this is not just an, an everyday <laughs> angel. This is a capital A, the, the, not the, not just an angel, but the angel, capital A, of the Lord, the angel of, Yah of Yahweh, Yahweh's special angel stood in the road to oppose Balaam. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, the donkey turned off the road into a field. And Balaam's response is what? to beat the donkey to get it back on the road. So just picture in your mind's eye. You are meant to picture this in your mind's eye. I've taught this in Legos before. 
many, many years ago. <laughs> I had some Lego slides. So the angel of the Lord is standing in the roadway. Balaam can't see this, but the donkey does. And the donkey, being, you know, doing what you or I would do, gets off the road to go around the angel of the Lord. Right? And so, um, and Balaam's response is to beat the donkey for getting off the road. Right? All right. That's where it is. Verse 24. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyard with walls on both sides. So there's like nowhere to go. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall. It pushes as close as it can, trying to do what to get by. Crushing Balaam's foot against the wall, oh my. So what does Balaam do? He beat the donkey a second time. Oh man. Patty, you got out the Lego book, didn't you? I did. Just this is the this is the Bible in Legos. If you want, I can bring the slides next week. I just thought it might be kind of hokey, but yep, I got them. So, All right, so the angel is standing there. I left out, I skipped a couple words here because the angel of the Lord is standing there with a drawn sword in its hand. Okay, so it, this is not a benign visitation. The angel of the Lord is standing in the road with a drawn sword in its hand, verse 23. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road and into a field, and Balaam beat it. Then it's then Balaam gets his foot crushed against the wall, and Balaam beats the donkey again. Verse 26. Now the angel of the Lord is still standing there with the drawn sword. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the angel saw the angel of the Lord... It simply laid down under Balaam. Because that's all the donkey can do. He can't try to squeeze by. He can't go out in the field. It's all packed with the angel of the Lord with the sword drawn. And so it just lays down right there in the roadway. With, and angry, Balaam is so angry, he beat that donkey a third time. Then Yahweh opened the donkey's mouth and it said to Balaam, What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? So now we have a talking donkey who seems to be the only one, well, at least in comparison to Balaam, to be having some, some sense here. Balaam doesn't seem to recognize that there might be a reason the donkey's doing what it's doing. The donkey looks at Balaam and says, What have I done to you 
to make you beat me these three times. And Balaam answered the donkey, You have made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. Wow, Balaam is kind of a kind of a hothead. He is. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey? That is a key piece of this little story. This is no random donkey that Balaam has just picked up. This is not a rental car. <laughs> this is Balaam's own donkey, which means what? He has experience with this donkey. This donkey would be Balaam's primary means of getting around. He knows this donkey. And so the donkey appeals to that past experience and says, Am I not your own donkey? Which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? Actually, it does sound a little bit like the donkey from Shrek, huh? Right, right it Patty? Does. <laughs> have I been in the habit of doing this to you? And Balaam says, no. Then Yahweh opened Balaam's eyes. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with his sword drawn. And he bowed low. And he fell face down. That's the subsequious position, face down. He's on the ground. His face is to the ground. Obesence. Obesence, it's called, yes. 32, and it's just a natural reaction, right? A natural reaction. I mean, I, I think if I were to encounter the angel of the Lord, that would be my reaction. It would be wrong. We only worship God. You know, this happens to Peter. It happens to Paul in the New Testament. People want to worship them. Nope, 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 nope. Not, not the angels either. The angels are not the objects of our worship. There's only one object of our worship, and that is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, verse 32, the angel of the Lord asked Balaam, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared the donkey. Wow. So Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you are displeased, I will go back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only what I tell you, which is, all, which, which is a mirror of, of verse 20. So Balaam went with Balak's officials. So what is this story about? I mean, let's just say that in the past, long past, one of the writers or editors of the book of Numbers said, look, I need to put this story in and we'll have some satirical fun with it and we'll put it here in order to make a few points. What, 
what might those points be be made here so the first thing is that we we do see um Balaam interacting with God because the angel of the Lord is this perfect this perfect mouthpiece for God in in scripture and Balaam is this is a diviner a seer let me see I, I wrote that down just to be clear what word I was saying a diviner a seer that's like a that's like a religious office um, a seer, one who sees, one who divines the way of the Lord, one who has a special connection with the Lord. Now, in pagan religions, they have their diviners and seers as well. But here, of course, Balaam is a diviner, a seer of the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac. <laughs> well, let's see. i got to get Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There is, in theology as well, general revelation of God, which is the revelation about God, which you could gather by living, by seeing, by opening a window and seeing the beauties and glories of God's creation and sensing some deep truth about who we are, perhaps. Then there is special revelation, and that is a revelation from God where it is given to to somebody given to us in the form of 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 scripture okay um a special revelation about um and this this all really happened in the past this special revelation that emerges in scripture and it's and it's more specific and it's and it's known by and given to God's people. And then you have this odd story about Balaam, which isn't really either one, because both of those, especially, you know, this isn't just something you would, you would gather generally from, you know, being a human living in this world, nor is it God interacting with his people in that special way. Of revealing God's self. This is something different because Balaam is not one of God's people. And yet he has this relationship. He he has a, he has a seer. He's a seer. So what do we make of that? And as I said earlier, it's probably a cautionary tale about thinking that we can know all the ways that God wants to work in this world and does work in this world. We can't. We're not God. That isn't knowable by, by us. But another piece of this little story is that common sense is helpful. Because if you look at the simplest, if you look at the simplest telling of this story of Balaam and the donkey, he, it's his donkey. He's ridden it many, many, many times in the past. He, he knows the donkey's habits. The donkey knows him. And yet, 
he doesn't have enough common sense to realize what's what's happening. Instead, his reaction is to beat the donkey three times. And it's clear that the angel of the Lord thinks that he should have. He should have seen it. It's such an odd it's such an odd story. And I know that when people come to Scripture, sometimes they're a little bit afraid of using their common sense, but I don't think we have to be afraid of that. Um, I'm teaching about women leaders in the early church right now on Sunday mornings. And one of the points I try to make is, does it make sense to you that God would exclude half of humanity from taking a direct role in proclaiming God's word. Maybe at one time, in certain worlds or certain contexts, but now, in the America of 2023, when more women go to college than men go to college, if college is important to this, I don't know, but... Does that make sense? I don't think it does make sense. And um, we, we need to not be afraid to use our common sense, shaped by God, shaped by God's word, when we come to Scripture and trying to understand it. And if Balaam had used an ounce of common sense, he would not have resorted to beating that donkey three times. He would have realized that something was up. He would have realized that something was up. So, I don't know. That's It's such an odd story. It does seem kind of inserted here because it, it it's the flow of the story is Balak sends for Balaam. Balaam eventually comes. And the big, the big part of this story still lies ahead. And you have this strange encounter with the donkey, the angel of the Lord, and Balaam. So do you have any thoughts about that story, honey? Anybody want to try to help out with that? It is such a weird story to me. It really is. But everything, everything in the Bible is written for a reason, Right? So why is it written this way? Well, the part that, you know, if Balaam is not, um, he is not a man of, of what we should call it, faith in God, um, doesn't say at all that he is, doesn't say that he fears the Lord or anything. The but he talks to God and does, God talks back. And the last thing God said to him, <laughs> since these men have come to summon you, go with them. Right. But only do what I tell you. So, I sort of see his side of the story. He has been told by God, the last thing he's heard is, these men have come, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I get that, so, sure. Um, I don't know. You know, the only, <laughs> you're going to crack up. The only thing that I could use any kind of, uh, try to relate this, how this would work, this is like when Lassie would run home to Mom and bark, 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 and Mom would say, did Jimmy fall in the well? Timmy. And, Timmy, sorry, <laughs> fall in the well. And Lassie go, bark, 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 bark. Is he in danger, Lassie? Bark, bark, bark. And then mom would.
would know what to do. Because Mom had past experience. Yes. With Lassie. Yes. And knew to pay attention. Yes. But Balaam doesn't do that, does Balaam? No. No. He, he and just gets off and beats the dickens out of uh, this poor donkey. Yes, which is very sad. I mean, I, I do think that all is very sad. <laughs> but, yes, we we have, I mean, it sounds so silly. We just, we, we don't know what his relationship is with this donkey. We, we've read about animals in the Bible where they love their little tiny baby lambs like a child. Yeah, that's what know? Nathan and, confronts David. Yes, and, and like that. And that is... That is one thing. Um, I don't know. Donkeys are known to be stubborn. Yeah. Not exactly the smartest animal in the barn. So maybe he just thought that. I don't know. I don't. You know. know what's interesting is so I went through a number of different commentaries on this story, and everybody's got their own thoughts. Okay. About what you really should take away from this, right? The specifically the encounter between the angel of the Lord, the donkey, and Balaam. So, I don't know. But we are going to, I think we're just going to leave it there. Yeah. We're just going to leave it there, and if we have any brilliant insights, or I come with any, I'll give them to you, or if you come with any, you need to share them with me. Because I think it's, a, you know, it's sort of like, okay, but tell me what I'm taking away from this story yes. yeah. um, other than Balaam just being being what obtuse and not paying attention and and not using his common sense and not relying on his past experience with his donkey to tell him that something was up instead of just beating the poor thing so Lynn just put that the first 31 says the Lord opened Balaam's eyes so the Lord was working in and through an unbeliever. So well, he's, he's not an Israelite. He's not an Israelite. That right? There's no indication he's he's an he's an Israelite. Um, so God works through whom God wants to work through. God uses whomever God uses. I mean, originally God came to Abraham before there were any of people of God, any of the people right. of God. It starts with Abraham. Why Abraham? I don't know. He's a guy. So, yeah, there we go. So this, I, I think the piece that this story's most preached on is the fact that Balaam is not an Israelite, and we need to remember that God can work through whom God chooses to work. Even we New Testament post-Jesus folks, that's still true today, and... Um, anyway, so. Okay, so I'm just going back to verse 20. Again, where God ends up coming to Balaam and saying, since these men have summoned you to go with them, go, but do only what I tell you. Then we go through the whole donkey story. Yes. And the angel of the Lord ends up saying to Balaam at the end of, after the three times he's beat the donkey, still go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. So that is puzzling to me. Well, yes. And so that's part of the reason some people think that in terms um, of how this works, this story of the donkey is inserted into the story of Balaam as a piece. Okay. 
Just saying. Because it ends up back at verse 20. It does. Right? After all that. After all that, it ends up back at verse 20. Oh, my. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, let's, how about we press onward, okay? Please. Um, before people start. Amona says that her study note says, As a pagan prophet, Balaam was a specialist in animal divination, but the dumb beast saw what Balaam was blind to observe. Well, you can call him a pagan prophet, but he spoke to God. That, that's, the, that's the thing in the text. It says, the Lord God. It doesn't just even just say God, the Lord God. He speaks of the Lord God. So, in my mind, he is more than a pagan prophet. There's something more going on. God is cho choosing to work through Balaam, and he is going to bring back these magnificent blessings on Israel that we are soon going to start saying. So, I don't know. All right. Verse 36. When Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the Moabite town on the Arnon River at the edge of his territory. And Balak said to Balaam, Did I not send you an urgent summons? Why didn't you come to me? Right? Like, why'd you take so long? Am I really not able to reward you? Remember, if you remember what back, when Balaam says, I don't care how much money you have, I'm not going to do something that God doesn't want me to do. You know? Because he's supposed to go there and curse um, the Israelites. And God, back there before verse 20, God says, don't go do that. So, okay. Balaam says, well, I have come to you now, but I can't say whatever I please. I must speak only what God puts in my mouth. He is a genuine prophet of the Lord Almighty, of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of the triune God. That is that is the test. Do the words that come out of the prophet's mouth, are they God's words? And here Balaam says, yes, I can't say whatever I please. I must speak only what God puts in my mouth. So if God wants the Israelites cursed, Balaam will curse them. If God wants the Israelites blessed, Balaam will bless them. Regardless of what Balak, the king, wants from him. Verse 40. Then Balaam went with Balak to Kiriath's Huthos. Balak sacrificed cattle and sheep and gave some to Balaam and the officials who were with him. And at the next morning, Balak, the king, took Balaam up to Bamoth Baal. That, and that B-A-A-L is always a clue for you. That is a name of a predominant Canaanite deity, a pagan god, Baal. So whenever you see that in a place name, you know that that is a place associated with one of these, with a pagan deity. So, because the Moabites are not Israelites, right? They're not Israelites. They're Moabites. The next morning, Balak took Balaam up to Bamoth Baal, and from there he could see the outskirts of the Israelite, Israelite camp. So this is higher ground. The king takes Balaam up there, and he can see sort of the outskirts of this big Israelite camp. 
Because remember, there's lots and lots of Israelites who flee Egypt. This is a big, big, very large group. And Balaam said, verse 23, chapter 23, verse 1, Build me seven altars here, and prepare, prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me. And Balak did as Balaam said, and the two of them offered a bull and a ram on each altar. So seven altars, right? Seven is the number of wholeness, thoroughness, completion, perfection. So seven altars, a bull and a ram sacrificed on each one of the seven on this place. Then Balaam said to Balak, Stay here beside your offering while I go aside. Perhaps Yahweh, see, there's that name again. Perhaps Yahweh, the, remember the, the, that strange font, small caps, Lord, that underneath it in the Hebrew is actually in God's name. This is not just any random pagan God. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Perhaps Yahweh will come to meet with me. Whatever he reveals to me, I will tell you. And then he, Balaam, heads off to a barren height. So he heads off by himself to overlook the camp. And God met with him. This is, this is powerful. God met with him. He's not an Israelite. Nothing indicates he's an Israelite. He comes from hundreds of miles to the east. God met with him. And Balaam said, I have prepared seven altars, and on each altar I have offered a bull and a ram. And Yahweh put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Go back to Balak and give him this word. That is the perfect description of what the prophets of God do. There is a place in Ezekiel where the prophet is told, I'm sure it's Ezekiel, is told to take the word, which he sees as a scroll, and to eat it. Then to eat it, to take it within himself. Because this word is going to go back and this word is going to be shared. And given to Balak the king. And you know what the king is hoping for. That when Balaam comes, he's going to be ready to put a curse on the Israelites. Now that is fascinating because Balak, the king, he's not an Israelite. Yet, why does he see that a curse coming from the mouth of one of Yahweh's prophets would have such power? Unless he what? Unless he senses yeah. that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is powerful. Right? It will be like the prostitute um, Rahab in the second chapter of Joshua that lies ahead. She helps the spies of Israel because she has heard about the Exodus. She's heard about the works of this mighty God. So maybe that's Balak. We're not told it explicitly, but perhaps that's it. Verse 6. 
So Balaam went back to Balak, the king, and found him standing beside his offering with all the Moabite officials. Ah, the king and the whole court and all the officials are all there. Then Moabite, then Balaam spoke his message. Balak brought me from Aaron, the king of Moab, from the eastern mountains. Come, he said, curse Jacob, meaning Israel. It's just a stand, the word, the name Jacob is standing in for Israel because of Jacob's family and the 12 sons of Jacob's family that's actually encamped, right? Yes. Come, he said, curse Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. How can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce those whom Yahweh has not denounced? From the rocky peaks I see them. From the heights I view them. I see a people who live apart and do not consider themselves one of the nations. That living apart, that is speaking to the fact that these God's people are not to be like the other peoples around them. They don't have a king like the other people have. They have a set of laws that the other people do not have. They are to live apart. They are to intermarry with the tribes and nations around themselves. They live apart. God has set them apart. Setting apart is, is consecration. Setting them apart is making them holy. Setting apart. I see a people who live apart and do not consider themselves one of the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number even a fourth of Israel? There's just so, so many of these Israelites. Let me die the death of the righteous and may my final end be like theirs. Because he doesn't know what's going to happen. Right? I mean, so God has put this word in his mouth acknowledging the fact that nobody knows really what Balak's going to do. It might be off with your head. Some kings don't like messengers who bear bad news because there is not one moment of curse anywhere in here, right? It's a blessing. So Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I brought you to curse my enemies, but you've done nothing but bless them. And Balaam answered, must I not speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? Right. He should. There's a story much later in the history of Israel where there's there's one, one prophet who's strong enough to stand before the kings and tell them the truth. His name was Micaiah. There's hundreds of prophets who are ready to be yes men, but there's one prophet who will stand strong in the counsels of the Lord, and his name is Micaiah. And here is Balak showing that same strength. Micaiah was an Israelite. Balaam is not that. But he too will stand strong. That's, that's the depth of his, well, what I teach, what do I do teach this as? His faith in God. He trusts God. He can do nothing else. I can't say anything else. Must I not speak what Yahweh puts in my mouth? So, here's Balak's plan. He says, all right, come with me to another place where you can see them, the Israelites, and you will 
You will not see them all, but only the outskirts of their camp. And from there, curse them for me. So Balak figures that ah, he's going to try again. So he took Balaam to the field of Zophim on the top of Pisgah, and there he built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Literally, he's just trying again. Same way, same drill. Right? So Balaam said to Balak, Stay here beside your offering while I meet with him with whom? Why? Stay here beside your offering while I meet with him over there. God. Exactly. Exactly. While I meet with him over there. Verse 16. Yahweh met with Balaam and put a word in his mouth. It's like God takes this word and he puts it right on Balaam's tongue and said, Go back to Balak and give him this word. So Balaam went to Balak and found him standing beside his offering with the Moabite officials. And Balak asked him, Well, what did Yahweh say? So now Balak, at least one person removed, is having this long conversation about a God that, as far as I know, he would not worship. Then Balaam spoke his message. Arise, Balak, and listen. Hear me, son of Zippor. That's, that's Balak. God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I, Balaam, have received a command to bless. He has blessed, he, God, has blessed, and I can't change it. No misfortune is seen in Jacob, no misery observed in Israel. Yahweh their God is with them. The shout of the king is among them. God brought them out of Egypt. They have the strength of a wild ox. There is no divination, no speaking to God is what that's about, against Jacob. No evil omens against Israel. It will now be said of Jacob and of Israel, see what God has done. The people rise like a lioness. They rouse themselves like a lion that does not rest till it devours its prey and drinks the blood of the victims. Of course, the Lion of Judah is one of the big persistent images of Israel and particularly the tribe of Judah. So verse 25, Then Balak the king said to Balaam, neither curse him at all, nor bless him at all, dot, 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 not in Hebrew. I'm sick of this. <laughs> and Balaam simply says what? Did I not tell you that I must do whatever Yahweh says? So, we've done it twice. Balaam is doing what the king tells him to do, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. The king can't say to Balaam, well, you're not doing what I told you to do. He is doing 
what the king tells them to do. And the king is doing what Balaam has them do in terms of these seven altars and so forth, right? With the bulls and the rams. But Balaam is simply going to be a mouthpiece for God. He is bringing God's word. Bringing God's word. Nothing more, nothing less. All right, so let's see what Balak's going to do now. So Balak said to Balaam, Come, let me take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God to let you curse them for me from there. Oh he is desperate. <laughs> and Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor, overlooking the wasteland. And Balaam said, Build me what? <laughs> seven altars. And prepare seven bulls and seven rams. This is getting expensive. That's a lot of livestock. So Balak did, as Balaam had said, and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Chapter 24. Now when Balaam saw that it pleased Yahweh to bless Israel, he did not resort to divination as at other times. Not sure. We're not sure what that means. He's, he's not going through any rituals up there. He's not you know, burning incense or anything like that. None of the, you know, the divination in the ancient world would include things like, you know, studying entrails and burning this and burning that. And um, we today we would call it reading tea leaves or something. He's not going to resort to that as at other times, but turned his face toward the wilderness, not toward the camp. When Balaam looked out, and saw Israel encamped tribe by tribe, which I guess is where they are. I was mistaken a moment ago. The Spirit of God came on him. So he sets aside the divination, and the Spirit of God came on him. The Holy Spirit of God. This is one of those places where you see the Holy Spirit at work in this world because the Holy Spirit is nothing less than the empowering presence of God. So God's empowering presence is with, that's what, that's what these, this verse is telling us. The empowering presence of God is with Balaam. Do the Israelites have an exclusive relationship with Yahweh? No, they don't. He will be their God. They will be his people. They're going to be the ones through whom God is going to rescue humanity. But there's a whole lot more to the world than the family of Abraham. But they certainly have a very special relationship. They have a special relationship. Yeah. God chose them. God chose them. And God... And the Holy Spirit is present with them and God dwells with them. But look at the power of this verse. What does it say? The Spirit of God came on him. God is with him, Balaam, also. Wow. And he spoke his message. The prophecy of Balaam, son of Beor. The prophecy of one whose eye sees clearly. Right? So he's a seer. 
one who sees things, whose eye sees clearly. The prophecy of one who hears the words of God, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate on the ground, and whose eyes are opened so they can see clearly. How beautiful are your tents, Jacob, your dwelling places, Israel. Like valleys, they spread out like gardens beside a river, like aloes, yeah, aloe plants, planted by Yahweh. Like cedars beside the waters, water will flow from their buckets. Their seed will have abundant water. Their king will be greater than Agog. Their kingdom will be exalted. God brought them out of Egypt. They have the strength of a wild ox. They devour hostile nations, and they break their bones in pieces. With their arrows they pierce them. Like a lion they crouch and lie down, like a lioness. Who dares to rouse them? May those who bless you be blessed, and may those who curse you be cursed. Wow. Third time around is not getting King Balak <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> it seems to be getting worse, yes, it not better. Just pause for a second. Imagine you're Balak at this point. You're scared to death of the Israelites. You wouldn't have gone through all of this. You're scared of them. Why? Perhaps because of the stories you have heard about their God. And that's God bringing them out of Egypt and defeating Pharaoh. Well. And so you could, thought you could find someone who would come in and curse them. But you got the wrong guy. Well... Verse 10, then Balak's anger burned against Balaam. Not surprising. <laughs> he struck his hands together and he said to Balaam, I summoned you to curse my enemies. But you have blessed them these three times. Now leave it once and go home. I said I re would reward you handsomely, but Yahweh has kept you from being rewarded. You chose him instead of me. So you get nothing. No gold, no silver. Nothing. You chose this God instead of me. You just go home. You empty-handed. You get nothing. You made your bed. You got to lie in it now. All those expressions we use, right? Yes. Well, Balaam answered Balak, Did I not tell the messengers you sent me? Even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I could not do anything of my own accord, good or bad, to go beyond the command of Yahweh. And I must say only what Yahweh says. Right? He is this pure vehicle for God's word. Verse 14, now I'm going to go back to my people, but come, let me warn you of what this people will do to your people in days to come. So there's going to be one last message. Often spoken, broken up into like 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, but it's really this last piece, these words of warning to the king.
Well, then Balaam, verse 15 of 24, then he spoke his message, Balaam does, the prophecy of Balaam, son of Beor, the prophecy of one whose eye sees clearly, the prophecy of one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who has a vision, who sees a vision better, who sees a seer, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate and whose eyes are open. Very much the same introduction yes. as the last message, yes. right? Yep. Sure. This is sort of like his bona fides. Right? It's like his resume. Okay, this is this is what I'm doing. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, being a scepter will rise out of Israel, Jacob being equivalent to Israel. Because remember, this is Hebrew poetry, and in Hebrew poetry, what rhymes are the thoughts, not the sound of the words. A star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise, will rise out of Israel. Those are royal ideas. This is a future king. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the people of Sheth. Edom will be conquered. Seir, his enemy, will be conquered. But Israel will go strong. A ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivor of the city. And to whom is this prophecy pointing? Some future king who will bring Israel to great strength, probably David, mm -hmm. right? Because David is the focus of so much um, of Scripture. Maybe, maybe Solomon, but probably David. Could it be even looking all the way ahead to Jesus? I don't know about that. I think it, it it's about a king rising up to take these dusty people who've been wandering through the wilderness and bring them and turn them into a great nation in the sense of a nation which is able to expand and grow its empire. Okay. Then Balaam saw Amalek and spoke his message. Amalek is a historical enemy of Israel. They assaulted the Israelites on their way out of Egypt. Amalek was first among the nations, but their end will be utter destruction. Then he saw the Kenites, another enemy of Israel, and spoke his message. Your dwelling place is secure. Your nest is set in a rock, yet you Kenites will be destroyed. When Asher takes you captive, Asher is a neighboring country, nation, tribe. Then he spoke his message, Balaam's seventh here. Alas, who can live when God does this? Ships will come from the shores of Cyprus. They will subdue Asher and Eber, but they too will come to ruin. You see, all of the nations, all of those who choose to defy God end up being destroyed. God wins. That's it. 
That's the book of Revelation in two words. God wins. Maybe three words. God has won. And so the mightiest powers fall before the power of God. In Revelation, it's Rome that is in that is the power of the day. And in, in, in these in this time, it's other kingdoms like the Amalekites or the Kenites. And before God, before God's people, they all fall. You know, and, and there's a certain sadness when I read these because Israel will reach a lot. They'll have a large kingdom, a lot of earthly power. Um, they will conquer peoples around them. They'll conquer the peoples in, in the promised land. But they will remain a rebellious people and they will do the things that God told them not to do, and then they too will fall. The world has only known one kingdom which cannot fall, and that's the kingdom of God. I've got a book on my shelf, The Rise and Fall of Great Nations, looking back at at the fortunes of great empires. Empires so great you could be convinced they would never fall, but they all do. The rise and fall of the Roman Empire, or the decline and fall of the Roman Empire is actually the title of it. <sighs> yep, even them, even the Egyptians. Um, it is like the great poem Ozymandias, which is a great YouTube video of Ozymandias read by Brian Cranston on YouTube. You should check it out. Ozymandias. O-Z-Y-M-A-N-D-I-A-S. It is written by Shelley, I think, in the early 19th, early 19th century. And it's all about the fact that these empires, for all the way they seem great and impregnable in the moment, they all disappear. Because they're filled with corruption. They're filled with rebellious people, sinful people. Um, so, verse 25, after all of that, you know what Balaam does? He simply got up <laughs> and he returned home. And Balak went his own way. So these two men part ways. I wonder if Balaam rode home on the same donkey. <laughs> Don't you wonder? Right? And they were actually quite smartly did not kill the messenger. That's right. <laughs> he had to know that um, this man was giving him this word. Exactly. His words were coming from God. Exactly. So that, my friends, we it was the entire story of Balaam. Really, the, the, the donkey part of it gets the press. The real part, the important part, are the blessings of God on Israel. These are the most extravagant blessings in the books of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they are signposts to the blessings that you find in the later prophetic books like Isaiah and others. And they are blessings which come really to fulfillment in Christ who washes in 
the kingdom of God. So when we come back next week, we are going to come to the end of this. It's going to be the end of the last, it's going to, of the generation that passes away. So it's all the old wilderness people are going to be gone when we get to the end of the next story. And there will then be another census. All new people who will then begin to make their way up to enter the promised land. So, Patty, you want to come around? I do. It's funny because the Lego book does not depict the donkey. It does tell many of the stories from Numbers, but doesn't show you the donkey. But they, it does show you the um, the serpent, the snake. I've got a couple slides of the, big... of the of of the donkey for you, made in Legos, because okay. the ones they must have left them out of the book. They must have. Must have, yes. There is a huge thing of the of the snake head though on the pole with all these little dead Lego people, <laughs> except for a few who are standing looking yeah. up at it. <laughs> and the donkey in the Lego slides I have, all they it kind of looks like a like a armored tank or something. Oh, that he's okay. writing, yes. <laughs> anyway, so, so so much silliness. But anyway, it's hard to, you know, they're little blocks. You they're just little blocks. You, you can only work with what they have. That's all you can do. Oh my goodness. All righty. Thank you guys for thanks being for being here, here. here today, and um, hope you have the rest of the day, the afternoon, the evening. Hope it all goes great for you. Uh, we'll see hopefully quite a few of you tomorrow in um, the class on Acts, which we have tomorrow at noon. And I think that's it. That's it. Okay, so let's close. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time that we set aside every Monday to study your word. And um, like especially right now, we're studying a book that probably most of us would not put a whole bunch of effort into on our own. But doing this together as a community, it it's really quite amazing and fascinating. And we just thank you, God. We know you put all these stories here for a reason that this this Bible is God-breathed, and uh, we just look, or try to look, God, a little deeper into why you um, have certain stories in this book for us to read. And we pray, God, that you would watch over all of us in this coming week. Take care of us, dear Lord. Take care of our family. Um, we pray, God, for your wisdom and your discernment in our lives every day, Lord. Thank you. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, adios, everybody. Bye.